Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday february 7th 2014 this week episode 314 comes to you from studio d in central city pennsylvania my name is radio joe hughes and here with me in the studio is jessica lawson hello guys at the controls and coming to us from mckee's rocks back in the old studio c is the z-man cliff zlotnick good afternoon everybody glad to be here good to have you and i noticed that lou joined us lou we'll have you on here in just a moment hang in there with us while we go through the introductions today's segments include an interview with we've got millie washington we've got bill Doan, and we've got lou mcglore McGlory, yep, I got it right here. And um, Millie is the standards chair and our standards director at IICRC. And Bill and Lou were the chair and co-chair of the new S800 standard that is going to be called the Standard and Reference Guide for Professional Inspection of Textile Floor Covering. We'll talk a lot more about that in a moment. Before we get started, though, let's thank our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean c-l-e-a-n-f-a-x.com and cmmonline.com please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of ieq radio when you inquire about their services and products all right we also have continuing education credits available for the iicrc or the acac or the abih the acronym police are going to be all over me here in a moment but we don't have time to spell them all out right now last but not least please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Uh, I want to do a couple quick overviews of uh, bios for our, our guests today, and we're going to start with Millie Washington. Millie is the uh, Institute for Inspection of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification Standards Director. She's been in that p- position since 2011. She's been working on streamlining the standards development process and strategy at the IICRC, 
and working towards American National Standards Institute ANSI approval for the new and revised ANSI IICRC standards. She's also very interested in using more digital tools to make the virtual collaboration really come to life. And uh, prior to the job here at the IICRC, Millie was the uh, with the American Industrial Hygiene Association. Uh, she was the manager of standards and guidelines. She's also a member of the Society for Standards Professionals and serves on their board of directors. William H. Bill Doan. Bill was the chairman of the, the body chair for the S-800. He retired in 2007 after a 43-year career in textile fibers with DuPont and carpet care. Uh, Steamway Shaw, he served as DuPont's point man in the outreach efforts to the carpet care industry during the time of the launch of the Stainmaster carpet in the mid-80s. I'm sure everybody's familiar with that. Uh, as recognized also as the Clean Facts Magazine Person of the Year in 1989, he earned his degree in mechanical engineering from Texas Tech and is an IICRC certified master textile cleaner. Lou McGlure, he's the Consensus Body Vice Chair and the President of LGM and Associates Textile Flooring Services in Dalton, Georgia. He's been associated with the floor covering industry for more than 43 years. Uh, Lou has uh, dealt with a multitude of different floor covering problems over those years, and he's the author and columnist of the Flooring Forensics for Floor Focus magazine, a regular on floor radio as the industry troubleshooter and is the publisher of the Commercial Flooring Report, distributed to over 100,000 readers worldwide. We're great. We really uh, feel privileged to have everybody here. And before we start with the interview, let's do our intro music. Cliff has come up with some inspector music for this one. Well done, Cliff. All right, let's start with Millie. Um, we get Millie un unmuted. Millie, welcome. Do we have you? Yes. Hi, Joe. Hi, Cliff. Thank you. Hi, Joe. Hi, Cliff. Thank you for having me. Great. Thank to you for being with us. Yeah, great to have you with us, Millie. I, I had put on the uh, announcement. We do a quick rundown before we started of, of the status of some of the other IICRC standards. Our focus today is the S-800, um, but before we do that, where are we with, for instance, the S-100, that's the carpet cleaning standard? That's right. S-100 is our textile floor covering cleaning standard. Um, we are currently in the process of finishing up a revision of that standard. The committee has worked on um, updating the content of the standard, and we're expecting to put it out for public review sometime by the end of February, so it'll be available for a 45-day review by anyone really that's interested, um, and then the committee is going to incorporate comments, make any additional changes, and we fully expect to have a revised standard published towards the end of 2014. So a um, lot of work going on, a very much a improved and updated standard coming your way pretty soon. Great. Um, and, yeah. What about the S210? That's, that's one I wasn't familiar with. It's the Standard and Reference Guide for Dimension Stone Maintenance and Restoration. Where are we on that one? Right. That's a new standard, and it's actually the very first of the hard surface division standards that we are developing at IICRC. 
Um, we are in the process of working on the very first draft of this um, new standard. We have a consensus body in place. They actually had their first, very first in-person meeting in January in Las Vegas. Um, so the group is basically working on outlines and drafts. We're still accepting applications. If anyone uh, who's listening is interested, you know, they can contact me, uh, and I'm sure my contact information will be made available um, if you're interested in submitting an application. We're also in the process of communicating with other stakeholders to ensure that we have good participation on the committee and that we can use um, this standard as a template, so to speak, for other standards on hard surface um, divisions. So it's 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 going to be quite a uh, path opener for us um, in opening out our way to doing many more standards on resilient and uh, tiles and other surfaces as well. Great. What about the S300 milli standard and reference guide for professional upholstery cleaning? Yeah, upholstery cleaning. Um, you know, we're we would like to redo the standard. It's a, it's a fairly old standard. We have not um, been able to revise it. We'd like to do that, and uh, we're looking for participation. We're looking for stakeholders really to uh, step up and participate so that we can get started with that. Okay. Um, it's um, you know, it's a very old standard. It needs to be updated. So it's something that we're working on getting together a group of stakeholders and getting a committee together. So we're looking forward to being able to revise it and have it ANSI approved uh, before the next version is published. All right. Here's the big one that I know a lot of people are, are curious about, the S-500, Standard and Reference Guide for Professional Water Damage Restoration. That one currently has the ANSI uh, approval on it. Um, I know it was revised, and it's been out for public comment at least once, and maybe you could fill us in on where we're at right now. Absolutely. Yeah, S-500 is the uh, topic of the day, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we did have our first public review in uh, March to May timeframe of 2013. Uh, we, we received uh, hundreds of comments, some uh, you know excellent comments that have helped the committee to rework the standard and improve it. Uh, we did a second round of public review, um, and that was December to January of 2014. We just finished with that, and the committee is starting to look at those comments and um, address them. So, you know, that's going to take a few months. It's, again, hundreds of comments, as one would expect. Um, but the idea is to, you know, ensure that we're having an open and unbiased process and that any public review commenter is getting... Um, due consideration and due process, and so it takes a little bit of time, but uh, we expect, uh, the committee is expecting to be done with uh, reviewing and addressing the comments maybe in a, two months or so, um, and then in all possibility we might have a third round of public review before it gets published, but that's, you know, yet to be decided. So we're very much in the mix of getting uh, a lot of good input and a lot of um, clarifications and improvements made to the standard before uh, the revised version is published. Okay, and you know, it's so nice. It's refreshing, actually. These things take time. I remember the first version of the S500, there were, I don't believe, any comments. It wasn't well known that it was out there, and I'm glad to see IICRC reaching out to the industry in general to, to get these comments, even though you know it's going to take more time, but you end up with a better standard, so it's good good news actually. How about the S five twenty? I'm sorry. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, Joe, that um, you're right. We, you know, we want to do it right. We want to make sure that everyone that has, you know, input gets the, the, the opportunity to do that because not, not everyone can participate on a committee. But, you know, this gives other folks, a, a very wide range of folks, an opportunity to participate. And uh, we definitely find that it takes more time. And sometimes, you know, it's hard to predict when a standard will be published. I think... You know, anyone doing standards has got to be uh, a hopeless optimist because otherwise there's just no way you could do this. Um, but, it's, but it's really great to have, you know, good committees working on it and um, just, you know, chugging away at all the comments. So um, I will use, you asked about S520. That's our mold remediation standard. Yes. Um, and that was also put out for public review in 2013, July to August timeframe. Um, and the committee is, again, you know, it's a good group of guys um, that are working on addressing the comments and making changes to the standards. We had initially thought that, you know, it would be a quick, you know, revision and we turn it around, but it looks like it's going to take a little bit of time. You know, comments are great, um, so we want to make sure that the committee has the time to address all of the comments. And uh, so very similar to S-500, uh, we are expecting to do a second round of public review for S520. Again, you know, optimistic estimate, spring 2014, but, you know, don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay. Well, I think people may be, I don't know, even somewhat happy, some people, to hear, to hear that it's going out for a second comment session. Yeah. You know, it gives, gives a lot of people a chance to get in some. I know I didn't get in some comments I'd like to get in. But anyway, we want to get on to the S800, so let me quickly wrap up the uh, s540 there's a standard reference guide for trauma and crime scene biological and infectious hazard cleanup that one's a mouthful but anyway uh, how are we coming along on that one millie um again brand new standard um there's a lot of you know uh new information that we're trying to put together the consensus body has put together several drafts for chapters and it's really very much still in early development stages okay. um and uh, you know i would estimate that the draft would be ready by the end of this year so we can think about public review once that is done so um, very much in the, you know, keeping our heads down and working on it stage at this time. All right, one more. Let's get into the carpet world here. The first one is the S600 Standard and Reference Guide for Professional Carpet Installation. Yes, 600 is our carpet install installation standard. It is a joint venture. IICRC, CRI, and WFCA are co-sponsoring the S600 standard. Um, and 600 uh, has also been through a round of public review that, that was early, of, um, early 2013. And the consensus body has been working internally with, you know, addressing the comments. And it's taking a little longer than one would have uh, hoped for. But, um, you know, we want to make sure that there's consensus within the committee itself. So we're, you know, allowing it the time that it needs. Um, and hopefully by the second half of 2014, we will have S600 published, fingers and toes and eyes crossed. That's a close one then. We're, we're getting closer on that one. And now the big one for today is the IICRC, and the anti-IICRC, I guess, would be standard S800. And what I'd like to do is turn it over to Cliff here and, and let him, because he knows our guests a lot better than I, maybe Cliff, you could start with the questions and kind of direct them whichever way you think is best. Okay, thanks, Joe. Well, uh, welcome, guests. 
Um, in, in order to get into the interview, uh, you had mentioned, Millie, that in the past, uh, IICRC does a lot of standards themselves, but in certain situations, the organization may choose to do a joint standard. Is this S-800 a joint standard? I mean, are any other groups providing funding or anything like that for development, or is it strictly an IICRC book? Um, S-800 is completely funded by IICRC, so IICRC is, in ANSI language, the secretariat okay. for the development of S-800, so IICRC has done all of the administrative and procedural work around the standard, none of the technical work. For that, of course, you know, we have the committee that worked on the technical content of the standard. Okay. Um, IICRC has standards of various lengths. You know, some of them are very, very large. I guess others would be medium in length. How many pages is the S-800, and is there a reference section? And if so, approximately how large is the reference section compared to the document? Yeah, so, um, Cliff, the, the S-800, just like most of our other standards, has two sections to it. It has the standard, and then it has the reference guide. Um, the standard is essentially the standard of care. It includes all of the trigger languages, all of the... Uh, you know, the requirements, for lack of a better word, of the standard. Um, and that runs about 65 pages long. The reference guide includes everything that the standard talks about, but then it provides additional clarification, explanations, uh, you know, diagrams, and uh, just a lot more added information. Um, and the, the reference guide is 181 pages, so you're right. It's a pretty lengthy document. Um, I, I believe the total length of the document is close to 250 pages, so it's a, it's a chunk. You know, it is. Cliff, let me get one in for Bill. Bill, um, welcome to the show, first of all, and thanks for joining us. And, and you were the chair of this standard. I looked it over here uh, as, you know, as much as I could over the last couple of days, and you know, I'm kind of on the fence about the, the um, reference guide. But when I looked at your reference guide with all the photos and all that, I thought, wow, what a, you know, this is really very um, helpful for someone like me who's not, you know, an expert on carpet and textile. Was that, uh, whose idea was that? Is that common in standards? Well, first, Cliff, let me say hello to you again, and thanks for letting me be on. For the audience, Cliff and I go back a long ways. Uh, <laughs> I had hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I used to have something other than gray hair. Anyway, <clears throat> no, the, the, the standard was a uh, evolutionary kind of thing. First of all, and Lou may comment on this in a minute, we went to great lengths to make sure that we had a really excellent balance of qualified people to put this together. And as a result of that, a lot of good ideas, a lot of good suggestions, and a lot of things were implemented. Uh, we spent a lot of time, for, for example, just talking about photography, you know, we've all heard it, but it's true. A picture is worth a thousand words, and that includes specialty diagrams and things like that. So every effort went into this thing to make it modern, up-to-date, uh, easy, easy as possible to use, and, and complete for whoever, uh, you know, the large variety of people who might be utilizing this standard. You know, Bill, I... I... Really, it really helped me. I, I, like I said, I'm on the fence about how how much we should include in the um, 
in the second part of, of the standards, the reference guide. But wow, the graphics in there, the photos. Now, this goes back to another thing that Millie's been pushing, and that is to get these standards more electronic for people where they could pull them up in the field on their iPhone or whatever the phone they're using or little, you know, these little computers people run around with nowadays, I guess uh, iPads and all. That seems like it would be really helpful. Where did um, let's let's pull Lou in for a moment, Lou? First of all, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. And then, if you could maybe expand a little bit on the on the photos, um, were you part of bringing those in, or do you have any comments on how helpful they may be? Well, uh, thank you for uh, thanking me for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, the both of you. Um, we all collaborated on what should go into the document. Uh, it was imperative that there be photos so people could actually see what it is what uh, that was being described. And, uh, you know, there's a saying in marketing, if you can't see it, you can't sell it. So uh, many people are visual, and it was imperative that we have photographs in the document so that there would be a visual reference as to what it was that, uh, whatever it pertained to was visible. So that was something that was done consciously, and that was a collaborative effort with uh, uh, the entire consensus body. I see. I mean, the things I noticed were things like the difference between shading, and then there was a side match, and spots, stains, discoloration, you know, fading. And it did a nice job of illustrating those things for even someone like myself that's not as familiar with the carpet industry as you guys are. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. I know you had a couple other questions you wanted to get in. I, I do. Um, I guess this goes to, to, to Lou because you're the person in the field that actually does this and does it for a living and has been really hands-on with it for a long time. Lou, would you describe this document as a good practice document that allows the person in the field some liberty in terms of how they utilize it? Or would you describe it as a best practice standard, that this is the best way to do it and the only way to do it, and if you don't do it exactly this way, you're falling under the industry standard of care? Which is it? Well, that's a good question. Um, it doesn't dictate to an individual exactly what he has to do, even though it is a standard, because many manufacturers will have their own um, form that they will send a field inspector out on that he's got to fill out, and that's what they want. However, the information in the document uh, essentially is a standard as to what is expected of them, and they should abide by what what those guidelines are in the standard. Uh, but whoever is commissioning them is going to have their own set of, of um, requests that the field inspector is going to have to comply with. So are you saying it's a little both or? Well, I'm, I'm saying that it is a standard and we put it together as such that these are uh, these are the best practices. These are what you should be doing. However, if the commissioning party, uh, for example, one of the manufacturers, says this is what we want, um, that's what you have to comply with. Okay, good. Maybe, if Cliff, if I could get Lou or, or um, if I can get one of you to clarify, it, it looks to me, and I don't recall, there was like an inspection 
form almost or a format for doing the inspection. And I think what Lou may have been saying there, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lou, is that sometimes the commissioner, which was a new word for me, I guess it's the person who wants to find out what the issue is or the group that wants to find out what the issue is, um, has their own format. They want to see these reports come in. Yes. Uh, the commissioning party is whoever hires the individual who's going out looking at the problem in the field, whether it be um, manufacturer, uh, distributor, uh, floor covering dealer, or even a consumer. Um, however, the industry is moving towards, many of the larger manufacturers in particular, moving towards having a, stand, a, a form of their own that they will ask the inspector to fill out, and that's the information that they want um, and that's what the they have. That's what the the inspector in the field has to comply with. I see, Cliff. Yeah, when we were talking about the photographs, as uh, the audience that's listening to us can't actually see it, uh, are the photographs in color? Or are they in black and white? No, photographs are in uh, color. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's been very nice photos. I might add, uh, a great effort went into using proper resolution. You know, the right angle. And as many color photos as possible was used, that's also obviously very additive when you're trying to look at a picture. You know, I was surprised, Cliff, at how well the photos came out and, and how much they added to the document, in, in my opinion. Even, you know, simple things like some of the inspection tools that these inspectors use out on, uh, you know, out in the field are things I had never seen before. Uh, and it really helped me to understand better what you were doing. So I... I I you know I congratulate you guys. I thought it was a nice document that even if a um, a consumer had a problem and they felt like, for instance, that the people that sold them the carpet or the manufacturer wasn't maybe giving them the whole story, they could pick up a copy of this standard and learn a whole heck of a lot real fast and um, be better prepared to help figure out what's going on in their particular issue. Well stated, Joe. Right on target. Uh, Cliff? Approximately how many active textile flooring inspectors are there, you know, in the United States? <laughs> Lou, maybe you know a, a lot, but Lou might have a better guess than I. I, yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, you know, now, there's a lot of them. There's several hundred of them. Um, Lily may have an answer to that because all all of them, I would imagine, or the majority of them, would have to have IICRC certification in order to be out there in the field. Um, there are other bodies, for that matter, but most of the people who are doing this are have an IICRC certification. So Millie may have a, a more exact on that. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm shaking my head. I, I really don't know. Not positive. No, it, it, but this is a course that has been around for years, I guess. Dave, is that accurate? Or I'm sorry, Bill? Well, yeah, I mean, they, there's you have to look at inspectors in kind of a broad way. There's a lot of people go out there uh, uh, for different people who claim to be inspectors, and basically they're just eyes and ears, so to speak, to go out and, and try to look at a problem and, and diagnose it. I, I completely agree with Lou that the the people who really know what they're doing, and there's a smaller but still an impressive number, I believe, are those who have been properly educated, properly trained, and none's better than the, uh, uh, than the training that comes by the ICRC for this. Gentlemen and Millie, 
we've got to take a quick break. Thank our sponsors. We'll be back in 90 seconds. We're not going to have any other halftime information. We want to get right back into our interview with Millie Washington, Bill Doan, and Lou McGlure. We're talking about the S-800, the standard and reference guide for professional inspection of textile floor covering. We'll be right back with our guests. Thanks to our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Um, I guess, Bill and Lou, can you list a couple of the more common textile uh, problems that the inspector encounters and how this S-800 document is going to help the inspector deal with the problem. No, I think uh, this one is clearly yours. Okay. Some of the more prolific problems that they're going to find are going to be, um, well, and then and these are age-old, too, in some respects, uh, matting and crushing, some color variation issues, some visible blemishes in the material, um, lines, for example, um, some of the more prolific relative to newer products are curling carpet tiles, um, and um, it's essentially the same types of things that rotate in and out that uh, um, often are, are found in the field, and generally, um, you know, people not being satisfied with the performance of the product and um, the responsibility of the individual going out and looking at it to determine, you know, what what essentially they're not happy with the performance for whatever reason. Why is that? Is it just the nat- the natural and inherent characteristic of the product itself doing what it's supposed to be doing, or is there in fact an actual manufacturing defect, or was the product oversold that the consumer was uh, told that a product may deliver a particular type of performance and then not having 
the capability of doing that. Um, interestingly enough, um, soft fibers, which are all the rage today, uh, I did a presentation at Surfaces last week, and I had about 250 retailers in the room, and I asked them by a show of hands how many of them uh, were having any complaints with the soft fibers, and not one hand went up, uh, which was kind of interesting to see that. So that product is actually performing very well um, as far as retailers are concerned, but one issue with that type of product is the difficulty of vacuuming it because it is so soft and so dense. So that's, a, that's something as far as the vacuuming of the product that um, inspectors may run into in the field. That's, a, that's kind of a compilation of some of the more common things that, uh, relative to your question that are occurring out there. Thank you. Joe? I'm curious, what, what is the difference between uh, you know, the old-style carpet and a soft? Uh, I think you call it a soft-style carpet. What soft make- fibers. They're, they're a finer denier. So essentially what it is is a much finer individual filament that gives you a much softer hand that's very silky and velvety, and um, it is uh, extraordinarily popular today. So the only difference is it's the same fiber, nylon, and uh, some triaxa, which is a uh, cross between a polyester and a nylon, essentially. Um, and um, the, uh, the, the coarseness of the field, the thickness of the um, individual filament itself, that's the difference. You know, it's it's interesting to me because I I, I stopped by surfaces uh, quickly and I I couldn't agree more. That was a big you know big uh, big seller. There were a lot of people pushing the or uh, well not pushing you know advertising the uh, the soft fiber. But I'm curious if it's a smaller fiber, um, would that not collect more dirt as well? And then maybe that's also why it's leading to the vacuuming problems. Now, the vacuuming has nothing to do with that. It is a, the filament itself is finer, but you're putting more into the same area. So it's not going to leave more space for soil to collect. Um, and essentially, it doesn't soil any, any more than anything else. It's a, after all, it is a textile floor covering material. It's on the floor. And if you don't take care of it, it's going to get dirty, um, regardless of whether it's um, nylon or polyester or polypropylene, for that matter. So that's not a um, an issue. What do you have to do with respect to the vacuuming to help? Uh, you know, what what's different about the vacuuming? Do you need a different type of vacuum cleaner? Do you set it differently? Uh, different types of vacuum cleaners. Some of the manufacturers are suggesting uh, on their websites the type of vacuum cleaner that you have to use uh, because these fibers are finer and actually denser. Um, some vacuum cleaners. When you run them over it, they'll grab the fiber and won't easily run back and forth. Um, and you may have to um, you have to have a certain type of vacuum cleaner. Some of them will, will the suction will just lock down on them, and you can't move them back and forth because uh, they create a, a, a greater seal. Hmm. That's very interesting. I actually I'm looking at carpet now, and I thought you know that's that's a good thing for consumers to know as well. You know you may have to change your vacuum cleaner when you purchase one of the new soft fibers. Cliff, let's turn it over to you. Yeah, can uh, Bill and Lou provide just a a short list of of ways in which the standard is going to assist and otherwise improve the textile flooring industry? 
Well, I'll kick in and then maybe uh, Lou would want to add, but uh, I, I think it, it basically starts with latest information and understanding and education. Uh, it, it encompasses the latest, uh, hopefully the best kind of information as to what people need to know. Education is so very important. And this document had a great deal of effort going into it to help people understand some uh, intricate, uh, not overly technical, but intricate details that they needed to know and procedures to follow, uh, taking advantage of all of the latest and and greatest uh, ideas and even equipment that's available. Lou? I would agree with that. Um, we tried to, I mean, the information that is in the document is the latest information that's available, uh, with the caveat that certainly nothing is etched in stone and that as the industry progresses, which it's doing at light speed today with technologies, um, there, the individuals are going to have to um, be aware that they're going to have to continue their education. And even the people who are instructing the courses are going to have to continue their education because, uh, you know, we're, we're located in right in Dalton where the majority of the product is manufactured, and it's, uh, it's a task to make sure that you maintain an awareness of what's happening in the industry and all of the changes that occur. So we, we built that into the document, but we also uh, built in the fact that you have to be up on your game so that you're aware of what's uh, what the latest technologies are in the industry. Uh, Lou and Bill, would it be fair to say that the document, you know, teaches from the perspective of failure analysis? I'm not <laughs> sure you would say failure analysis. Go ahead, Lou. Uh, repeat the question again. I don't know that I understood what it was that you were saying. Say asking. that the document uh, is important because it teaches from the point of failure analysis. What I mean by this is that, you know, there can be all sorts of failures. You know, it could be defective product. It could be defective insulation. It could be oversold. But, you know, when they make these new soft fibers, they don't anticipate everything that's possibly going to happen in the field, and that's really what the standard does. It points out that this can happen, that can happen, this can cause this, and so on and so forth. Right. You're, you're right, and it's in... And what it also says is you got to keep an open mind because you don't know, you know, even though something is reported as being whatever it was complained about or, or filed as relative to a complaint or, or a claim, you don't know what you're going to see once you get out there. So you have to keep an open mind. And uh, I believe that the document covers all of those things that can occur. And certainly there's going to be things that uh, are going to pop up that are unique to a particular product or style, and um, therefore we've tried to build all of that in, uh, but it doesn't mean that you can't use your brain in the process as well. As my dad once told me, common sense is still good. (laughs) It needs to be used. But I would also add here, maybe this is timely for this, uh, this is not an end-all reference guide or standard. Uh, the intention, and Millie might comment here, is that things will change. Change is inevitable. <laughs> Growth is optional, as our friend Ralph Ross used to say. And so this standard uh, should and probably be, will be updated again somewhere in the vicinity of four or five years from now. Because as sure as we're talking today, things will change. 
So this is not an end-all, but it's the, it's the leading technology of today. Yeah, Bill, you're right. I'd just like to add that all um, ANSI-approved standards have a requirement to be updated and you know revised every five years or so. So that is definitely the intention with 800 as well, is that you know on a five-year cycle, the standard will be reviewed and revised as needed. Guys, let me jump in and ask a quick question about uh, carpet on concrete. You see a lot of different applications, of different buildings nowadays where they put carpet on concrete. And a lot of our people here do indoor environmental quality kind of work, and it's been a problem for them over the years. What type, what kind of carpet works best on concrete? Uh, you know, on a slab, a slab type situation. Um, I'll take that. I mean, you know, it's nothing new. I mean, carpet's been installed on concrete since there's been carpet in buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got more issues with moisture in concrete, so that's something that has to be taken into consideration, and that's a a big challenge in the industry today overall, not only for the floor covering industry, but for the concrete industry as well. Um, If you're installing broad loom carpet directly glued to a substrate, you first have to make sure that the you test the concrete for moisture vapor emission. Uh, there's a couple of tests that are done for that, typically calcium chloride test and relative humidity. Um, both of those should be conducted, and there there's no correlation between the two. Uh, so you need to determine what your moisture vapor emissions and relative humidity levels are. The industry has guidelines as to what is acceptable, and they vary from uh, product to product and uh, and for the situation. Um, once that's done, you may have to mitigate the slab by coming in and, and bead blasting it and reprofiling it, or uh, it might be possible to put some type of a sealer down. Uh, there are also available, and this goes to everybody having to stay up on their game, changes in adhesives that have... Um, that have uh, formulations that are more resistant to um, moisture and alkalinity, and it's the alkalinity in the concrete that will compromise the adhesive by destroying the tachyfier, which is the sticky part. Um, Broad loom carpet typically will breathe, so it will allow moisture vapor to pass through it, but if you have a hard surface or a hard backing on it, um, it may trap the moisture, um, and then uh, if there are carpet tiles, most of which are not permeable, and that would be the vast majority of them, uh, you could be facing other situations where um, you've got adhesive oozing up around the carpet tile. So this is a very complex issue. It's a very large issue, um, and it is an issue that calls for a particular expertise to deal with. But as far as going back to the question that you asked, um, floor covering carpet in particular that we're talking about, is installed every day over concrete, and it's just now a matter of being much more aware of the conditions uh, that exist so that it is installed without uh, failing. And all these new lead programs, the Going Green, uh, have changed the conditions in buildings in which the carpet is installed. So we've got, uh, you know, not maybe maybe not the ideal conditions when the product is installed relative to the HVAC system being operational, and then fluctuating HVAC operation um, when the carpet is installed that will also 
can create havoc with it. I know that's a long answer, but it's that's that's what that involves. Oh, well, it's a big it's a big issue. So I appreciate the um, thoroughness of the answer. Cliff, do you want to do one more question before we get to the roundup? Um. Well, yeah, I, I think maybe Lou. Yeah, you've been doing this a long time, and I, I'm just wondering if you could tell the the listeners your most memorable or funniest flooring inspection. Well, you know, we, our business has changed a great deal since I first got in the industry in, in uh, 1971. Most of what we do today is big commercial stuff. We do a lot of consulting um, and, and a lot of technology stuff. Uh, but I was thinking about that, and I, uh, when I was doing lots of residential inspections, which was early on in my career, um, there was one in particular that kind of popped into my head, and it was for uh, carpet getting dirty. And this was probably, Jesus, this might have been 25 years ago, but it still sticks out. And, I rem- and I've got pictures of this still. Uh, this, this individual consumer was complaining about her carpet getting spots on it. And when I went out to look at it, the, the house was absolutely filthy. There was no question the carpet had spots on it. But so did the sofa, and she had parts of the uh, installation that weren't complete yet that still that only had cushion down, and the cushion had the exact same issues that everything else did. So it's like, you know, why am I even here? Um, this thing needs a flamethrower. There's nothing wrong with any of the flooring. It's just, uh, you know, it, and, and, you know, like Bill was saying before, common sense. I mean, you really, you're, you're looking at this, and you have no clue as to the fact that, you know, how do you get – the same dark spots on the furniture, the cushion that's exposed, and the carpet at the same time. <clears throat> Don't you think you had something to do with this? Now, that's not what I said to them, but <laughs> needless to say, that was not a manufacturing issue. That was a maintenance, use, and abuse thing. But it sticks out in my mind because, it, you know, you walk out of there and you say, could they really have thought that this was a problem that had anything to do with other than their housekeeping uh, skills. So, just a pigsty. Cliff, before we go to the roundup, I'd like to give both of you an opportunity to give our listeners a tip about either selecting or maintaining uh, textile floor coverings. We'll start with Bill. Yeah, that'd be fun. I would. <laughs> I spent lots and lots of years dealing with maintenance issues and all that kind of thing. I would say this. There just simply isn't anything more important uh, for a carpet than being uh, vacuumed uh, regularly, routinely, with a good vacuum cleaner. Small plug here out to the CRI's seal of approval. You know, use a good vacuum, for heaven's sake. If you're going to go to that trouble, uh, use a good one. Uh, my wife would be the first to tell you, I do the vacuuming in our house because I actually understand it, and <clears throat> it works. If you do that, uh, enough with the right kind of machine, the probability of having soiling issues to your crop is going to be really low. Um, Bill, Rupert. I've always been. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, uh, you know, with regard to the selection of fibers, technology has changed so doggone much. At one time, you could have beat me with a stick, and I wouldn't have said anything but nylon. But there's a lot of other, uh, you know, polyester is making a big, big return. Uh, by polypropylene, I just encourage people to talk to a knowledgeable salesperson. 
that's easier said than done <clears throat> because they will be able to talk to you about proper carpet construction, which is the key to the performance of, of the product, irrespective of the fiber. So, you know, good maintenance and talking to a knowledgeable salesperson are a good place to start. In the, um, I do a course for the it's called the National Center for Healthy Housing's Home Health Specialist, and they recommend that for every person and for every dog in the home or every pet, that that's how often you should vacuum. So in my home, for instance, I've got three people and two dogs. So that means I've got to vacuum at least five days a week. Is that kind of – do you have a, a tip like that, guys? I would say that's that's a little bit of overkill, but if you (laughs) vacuum thoroughly at least once a week, you'd be way ahead. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. Minimum of once a week. Okay. Jess does it twice a day, she said. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody, and you've got to be careful it's not the husband, has to do that. (laughs) That's right. That's right. All right. And then let's go over. I think that was Bill Lou. Do you have any tips? Yeah, uh, actually, the biggest problem in the industry, and, and it's always been considered to be installation relative to uh, carpet, is the biggest problem is the wrong product in the wrong place and not qualifying the end user. Um, and that can be simply done by the retailer as to asking them, you know, what do you, have in, what do you have installed now? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? And what are you expecting to achieve? What type of performance are you expecting to achieve with the new carpet that we're going to sell you? I think that if those four questions are asked, uh, the right product will get into the right place, and there is a right product for every application, and there will be far fewer problems in the industry. Now, that is you know, only a, a handful of people even consider doing that, um, and there are dealers that you may never have problems with or have to look at a problem for, and others that may be, you know, have, have more consistent problems. Um, but, um, you know, there is a right product for every application. And the other thing you have to take into consideration is a consumer may have expected something to work a particular way, and it didn't. Um, and, and in addition, color. Uh, kind of along the lines Bill was saying, you know, the vacuum, color is so important and, you know, light colors and high traffic areas are not going to give you the best appearance retention that you may get with a color that's more appropriate for the space that hides the soil that may get tracked in. So um, those are things to, to be considered when you're out looking at a problem, when, when a product's being sold, and when, the, when you're out looking at a problem is, you know, is this even the right product? Uh, should this stuff be here? And... Um, you know, it's just essentially the product, sometimes you can say the product is performing up to the standards and characteristics to which it was designed and constructed. Adding also to what Bill said as far as polyesters are concerned, you know, they've, those of us who've been in the industry for a long time were aware of the poor performance of polyesters, but they are not your, they're not your father's or grandfather's polyesters anymore. These things uh, are well constructed, they perform extraordinarily well, and... Um, there, um, you should not go out there with any preconceived ideas as to, you know, the fact that this particular fiber is going to look terrible because of what it may have been in the past. That's not the case anymore. Very good, gentlemen. Cliff, do you think we should go to the roundup? 
I think so, Joe. Sounds good, gentlemen. And Millie, please hang in there with us for just a moment. We'll be right back with our guests and uh, the final questions. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Right. Let's start with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Well, Dieter, I, I know you're going to come up with something interesting here because I know this is not your area of expertise, but it sure was interesting. And um, I know you walk on carpet every day, so I'm sure you've got something interesting to add. Uh, ye- yes, I do. In fact, I have a couple of questions that came up. It was mentioned that IICRC is financing this and that and the other. How is IICRC financed? By mem- probably by members, correct? Well, no, actually, the, the IICRC is a standards and uh, certification body. There are no members. They are called registrants. So most of the most of the income, as I understand it, comes from selling the standards and from providing the certifications that that people have that um, okay. Bill, Bill and Lubo spoke of here. Uh, okay, Millie, fine. So let me make sure uh, Millie doesn't have anything to add to that. Millie. Oh no, you're absolutely right, Joe. That's exactly um, that's exactly right. It's standards and certification and. Um, you know, it's from the, uh, we have registrants, um, and it's from the sales of the standards as well as the um, the courses and you know the certification that we provide. And that, that oh. includes the certified firm program, Dieter, where the the firm itself gets a certification. But let's uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that that's that's fine. That was my next one. It seems that there are more. It's still they call them registrants or, or members. The, the registered members, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so there got to be uh, some money got to come uh, in, in in somewhere. This is this is not uh, cheap uh, stuff you guys are doing. Exactly. But Lou uh, for for Lou and Bill, I don't. Maybe I missed something. Um, a inspector, and I guess I mean, we are talking here. Is that a carpet inspector? Is it the inspector's job like an adjuster after a car accident? He goes in and I said, yep, do you need that one? I mean, apparently you need that one. Or should you trust uh, the, 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 the company which is uh, cleaning the, uh, the carpet? I don't know if I understand your question. The inspector's job is when there's a problem to go out and look at it and determine what the problem is and... Basically working for an insurance company, perhaps, or just for the customer? Well, they could work for anybody. I mean, if it's an insurance company, you're looking at, for an insurance company, you're typically going out to look at a loss and determine whether or not um, the loss is what the the claim is for. Okay, um, I understand that. 
But the other inspector just goes in. I mean, if I get my house painted, do I get a painter inspector? He says, okay, he wants this room and that room and that room that should cost X amount of dollars. I see. I think the manufacturers, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, oftentimes there will be a complaint of some type, and the manufacturer or the retailer that sells the carpet gets the complaint, and then someone has to come out and verify whether that complaint is okay. related to the you know the product or the installation of the product or the maintenance on the product. I and okay, I that now that makes sense. I have no problem with that. Where do you get the training through IICRC, gentlemen? Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, there's a lot of people out there that do inspections. Some which may or may not be fully qualified. There's no question in my mind that. A key criteria for looking uh, for an inspector for the flooring industry is to, you know, check their credentials. And the key credential to me is that they would be uh, have received training by the ICRC for that particular task. That gives a further assurance that they actually know uh, what they're doing and uh, are qualified to answer your questions. That what? Yeah. And, Joe, I'd like give, to also let me have a add, shot at it. If I may. Go ahead, Millie, oh, then Cliff. Go ahead, ladies first, and then I'll try. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay, thank you. Um, I just wanted to add that IICRC doesn't actually provide the training per se. IICRC certifies the schools um, that provide and the instructors that provide the training. And so it kind of branches out from there. But the uh, the, the material and the certification of the schools and the instructors, that is done by IICRC. Yeah, they, Good clarification, Millie. Thank you. Peter, I think the best way to explain it is this carpet inspector, flooring inspector, is really the buck stopper. Uh, they're someone who is experienced in the material, you know, the, the textile that's being installed. They understand the installation. They understand the maintenance. Uh, they understand the environmental factors. So they are an independent third party who goes in and investigates the, the complaint and then makes a report uh, outlining their findings. Because without these people, everyone is pointing fingers. You know, it's not me. It's, you know, it's not the manufacturer. It's the installer. And the installer says it's, you know, the, the homeowner and so on and so forth. This is someone who has the necessary expertise to go in and impartially look at what's there and then render a professional opinion. I, I understand that. Now, let me ask you the other way around. Where do the majority of jobs, who hires a qualified inspector? Who, 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 who makes the first move? Well, well typically, typically, it can come, come from anywhere, but typically manufacturers will hire them. Okay. Uh, a retail dealer or a consumer can hire them. Uh, people who have gotten their certification through IICRC, can, uh, are listed on IICRC's website, so if somebody could go there and find out who those individuals are in their particular uh, geographic location. But most manufacturers are uh, marketed to or solicited by or are aware of, through IICRC and others, uh, what inspectors are available in a particular area, and also, the manufacturers uh, may have been using a particular inspector for years in a particular location and will um, 
will use that individual. And then there are umbrella companies that have uh, inspectors that are associates of theirs, uh, and you would call their central, you know, one of these organizations central number, and they would uh, disperse the uh, claim to whoever would be in that particular area. So there's several ways, but... So, uh, yeah, that is that is interesting. I was not really aware. I, let's put it this way: I I never heard of a flooring inspector. Uh, maybe, uh, but basically, they 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 their the basis for their job is perhaps a question or a failure of an, an installed material. Okay, we got that one out of the way. And I think it was Bill, and it doesn't matter whether it's Bill or Lou. Uh, who it was, but I I think uh, the education of the customer is absolutely essential. And if you need or if you want flooring, in fact, I had a problem in my or I I, I don't want to say a problem, but a job in my house, and I finally gave up. But if I'm a uh, a consumer, it is difficult to find somebody as Lou or who it was, Lou or Bill said it's difficult to find somebody who really knows his job. He, yeah, not only a salesman who said, hey, blue looks great in your house and buy this one. Uh, that is difficult to find. And I ask people left and right, maybe I should have hired a flooring inspector. I didn't know they existed or how to get one. Uh, when I did my, it's my, my, my family room downstairs, and I had the problem, a problem, to solve a problem, that is a concrete slab. Joe mentioned that. Do I just put a carpet over it? Do I put a subfloor in it? Do I shoot or nail down two-by-fours, one-by-threes, put plywood over that, that I have a gap in between? Do I put a, 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 a not, not only insulation, but do I put a vapor barrier down there? Something like that. Nobody really could give me. In fact, I got very contrasting answers. Oh, do this. No, you can't do that. Oh, do that. And it went on and on. I just put a, uh, uh, a carpet over the concrete uh, uh, slab, and which is pretty dry in my case. I have overhangs and so on on the roof, so they, not a lot of moisture gets in there. Anyway, so this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, like I always say, I, I always learn something when I listen to this here. But there are a couple of big questions, like with the education of the customer, that you get something that you know how it will perform, and you can't get something that will do, you know, a job. If you get a hammer, you can't expect it to be a screwdriver <laughs> and a wrench and, and, and all of that in one, in one piece. It just doesn't work that way. Dieter, thanks as always. We appreciate you joining us. A bit. Uh, we're running a little over, guys. Cliff, do you have a final question? Uh, I don't. All right. Gentlemen, I, I'm going to um, ask the final question, and that is if any of you have anything you would like to add before we go, and maybe um, what we can do is uh, if you want to put your contact information out or I could – put it on the website later that either way works for about for us so let's go around and uh, start with millie anything you'd like to add that we missed absolutely joe i just want to say that the s800 standard is complete it's available for sale i believe the pdf version will be um, posted on the iicrc website later on today so 
Um, just want to just let people know that not only is this standard going to be available in hard copy and PDF, but we're going to make it available for you no matter what um, uh, format you'd like to see it in and what uh, device you'd like to see it on. So uh, whether you have an iPad, a PC, a Mac, an Android phone, a Kindle, any other e-reader, you will be able to download it to that. So there's information on that coming to the website. Um, we just want to encourage people, you know, to use it um, and make it easily accessible on whatever device you need when you're out um, on a job and on a site. So that's, that's, that's all I have. Great Thank news. You. Is, this, is this the first time they've been available in all those formats, Millie? That's exactly right. We've done the hard copy and the PDF for our standards before, but this is the first time, you know, recognizing the need. I mean, my five-year-old son, you know, has one of those things, and everybody does. And, you know, so the idea is to make it accessible. Um, and when you're out and about and you have your iPad, you can pull up the S-800 and look at, you search for what you need and get to it within seconds. Great. Wonderful. Well, I stuff. think that, I don't know whether I'm still on. Yes, dear. Yeah, I think that format and and answers partially Joe's uh, former question, or uh, or it may have been Cliff. It doesn't matter. Uh, do you have those pictures in colors? Well, yes. if you get it that format, it will be gorgeous. It will. It is, Dieter. I have a copy of it here, and it's it really helped me a lot. Uh, let's go over to Bill. Bill, any final comments or anything you'd like to add? Well, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to do this. Uh, we truly appreciate it. And I hope the audience out there is much more informed about 800. I would say this, maybe for for Lou and Millie, it was just a privilege to work with such a committed and dedicated volunteer group who uh, virtually looked at every facet of the carpet industry to help make this standard all that it needed to be encompassing all of the latest technology. It needed to be updated. It took a long time to do it. <laughs> Among other things, we spent a lot of money but it was worth it, and we truly believe that it will be a significant benefit to the entire carpet industry for many years to come, uh, with everybody understanding that it's not an end-all. It will be updated in about five years. It's, it's a good document. Everybody needs to take a look at it and use it. And Lou? Uh, I'd like to uh, mirror Bill's comments uh, and add that, uh, you know, we're extremely appreciative for everyone who participated in this and volunteered um, and gave, gave every effort that we asked them to, um, to provide, uh, volunteering to make this the best document that we could make it. We, we intentionally included every facet of the industry from inspectors, manufacturers, installation firms, uh, anyone who had anything to do with textile floor covering and its its use in the marketplace and its, the issues that it that it uh, creates, and I think that we came up with a, a, a great document. We uh, had a great cross section of people participating in it, and um, I think that it shows in the result of the document. That said, um, you know if anybody out there has any questions or needs help of any kind. Um, you know, that Millie can provide or Bill can provide or I can provide, um, you know, we'd ask them to feel free to contact us. Gentlemen and Millie, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I, I learned a lot today. I always do. And uh, we enjoyed having you. 
This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thank you to today's guests. We had Millie Washington, the IICRC Standards Director, and then Bill Doan and Lou McGlure. Uh, they were the chair and vice chair. And also, I thought I should mention Jack Friedman, who was the Inspector Division Vice Chair, I noted on this uh, document. So I assume he, he was pretty active in there. And we've got a long list of uh, other people that um, deserve some credit. And thanks for help. thank you for uh, mentioning uh, the hard work of all the volunteers. And I also want to say thanks to the Z-Man, Cliff, another one in the yep, books. another one in the can, Joe. Yes, thanks. sir. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Thank you, Dieter, as always, for joining us. Jessica Lawson at the controls. And most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners, come back and join us next week. We've got a we're going to do a little uh, a show on hiring temporary workers next week, and uh, we've got um, we've got oh, Cliff. You got the name for me there. I know it's was it Pam? Yeah. Pam Wagon. Okay, Billy Wagon. Uh, Pam Plesh Wagon. Plesh Wagon. And uh, we're going to talk about hiring temporary workers next week. So come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.